Today, we turn our attention to celebrate fatherhood, to celebrate what it is to be a dad, what it is to be a parent. Today, I'm not packing stories of my own shortcomings, nor do I have a goal to mock you dads with your own failures. No, we have an elevated agenda this morning. We have come today to lift our eyes to a higher vision for what God's word would have us believe about what it is to be a father, to see it in all of its glory, to see its divinity and its humanity, and its humanity is its divinity. To be a father, it is enduring in its legacy, it is both fleeting in its opportunity, it is focused on eternity, but it is very cognizant of its mortality. It is to be the hero and the villain simultaneously, to be the sinner and the saint, to be forgiven and the forgiver. What I'm saying but not saying is that fatherhood is a complicated paradox. For every dad is not a father who is not also a son or a grandson. So much of our lives are shaped and formed by that which we experience in relation to our forefathers. And I don't care what tree you fell from, it wasn't a perfect tree. Which means every dad here is doing a job they haven't been perfectly trained for. Or perhaps they didn't even see it at all. And yet here we are. Imperfect men, fathering imperfect kids, in imperfect families desperately crying out to God for a miracle that by some act of him, it may all turn out perfect in the end. That's what it is to be a dad. This morning, we turn to the most practical books in the Bible, the book of Proverbs. In a a matter of words, Proverbs crystallizes life's realities and gives us warnings and it gives us aspirations. Solomon's wisdom comes to us like a father would uh, inspire his own kids to give sage advice. In fact, much of Proverbs is exactly that, wisdom from a father to children. One, one proverb provides enough food for us this morning. It's found in Proverbs 17, verse 6. I want you to open in your copy of God's Word, flip in your app, whatever you want. It's on the screen, but I also want you to maybe highlight it in your copy of God's Word so that uh, decades from now, when you come back to it, you'll be reminded of this moment that I think could change a lot for you. Here's what it says. Solomon's words come to us this way. I'd love for you to say it with me. Very simple. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Super simple. Maybe you got it already. Maybe like me this week, you were scratching your head going, I get all the words, but what do they mean? Um, I love this proverb. In the Hebrew, it's only nine words long. But within these nine words, we have four generations that would comprise one family. The text literally reads that children's children are the crown of the parents' parents, and the glory of the children is their fathers. So um, before we kick into this, really, with great earnestness, I I feel compelled to say, moms, don't tune out, because... Uh, the actual Hebrew is generic enough for this to be a, a message to parents broadly. The, the Holy Spirit has something he wants to do inside of your hearts, women, to light a fire for parenthood just as much as he wants to dads. But today's Father's Day, so dads, you, get the, uh, you become the object of my sentences. Moms, this is for you as well. 
grandchildren of the crown of the age and glory of children is their father's. Here's what it looks like. Because I am a simple guy and this week in my office I was thinking to myself, what, what is this even, what is it saying? There, there's something here. I know that there's gold in here, but what? Solomon, are you trying to tell us? And so I had to do this thing where I had to like write it out in a graphic form. And this is really how, how, how I was led to figure this out. So, so you, here you have it. Grandchildren and grandparents on one end. That's, that's the first line. Grandchildren are the crown of the age. Literally, the parents' parents, grandparents. And the glory of children is their fathers. We have right here four generations. Grandchildren, children. Sometimes those are the same thing. Parents, grandparents. Sometimes those are the same thing. And we have here this direction of honor that Solomon is telling us about. He tells us that grandchildren are the crown of the age. That is literally, if we could put up the next slide, children, grandchildren extend out honor by their presence and by their actions towards those who came before them, to their grandparents. Grandparents love this verse, don't they? And then notice this, the second verse, the glory of children is their Fathers, which means that children derive the glory or the worth or the self-confidence that they need in this life from who their parents are. And so we see honor moving backwards. We can then, understanding it that way, uh, maybe explain all of the arrows on this chart, and, and you just kind of show it this way, that grandchildren and children and parents and grandparents, there's, there's this reciprocal nature of honor going on so that one generation to another generation is interdependent, it is locked together, the glory is being shared amongst one another. And we start to see this as something resembling a chain in which becomes even more clear when we imagine that this is a process that has been going on ever since the time when God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. This very thing has been happening ever since humanity was created from that first family. This is what God's design was to be, an extension of honor and a giving back of glory. If I was a more creative person, if I was maybe a little bit more artistic and, and had my way around Photoshop and time, I would have... Uh, turn this for you a little bit and overlaid what's called a double helix. Do you know what a double helix is? What do we most commonly refer with double helix? It's DNA. Thank you. Man, the first service did not know that. I don't know if they were just sleeping or what, but they did. So it's a DNA. Embedded within this proverb is what I want to call the DNA of honor that ought to be uh, reproducing itself in, its, in, in, the, in the very core form of who your family is from generation to generation, passing on honor, passing on glory, passing on honor, passing on glory. And if I had to um, say the big idea from this chart, I would simply say this, notice this, between grandparents and grandchildren, between future generations and prior generations, our parents. Today, our fathers. Parents are the bridge. Parents are the bridge from, we could say it this way, from progeny to ancestry. That's what one of my commentators said. Parents are the link that makes the chain. I just want to say it this way, that parents are the active ingredient in the formula for a family. In God's mind, when he says, uh, let, the, let the families go forth, he, he, he calls out to them, parents, and says, be active, be fruitful, and multiply. I want to be a very good theologian and be reminded of the fact that um, we know, especially on a day like today, 
when it comes to Father's Day, that it is the Lord who opens and closes the womb. Our Father in heaven is the active ingredient for us. But he is no less telling us that the the, the ones who ought to be most active in the family, the ones who ought to be uh, thermostats and not thermometers, are the parents. Between those who have come before and those who are yet to come, stand moms and dads. And so both children and grandparents are made by parents, but God uses parents so mightily. If I had to put one phrase over this link in the chain or one phrase over this one proverb, it would simply be this. This is the picture of what it looks like when we see rightly fulfilled the mission of fatherhood. The mission of fatherhood. Notice again, grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. This is the mission that we have of fatherhood. The successful, honored, crowned father is one who has become a grandfather in his later years, and his honor is seeing his family legacy passed down from generations. Solomon, in his wisdom, didn't say a couple things. Solomon didn't say, retirement is the crown of the aged. First service, I said that someone had a coughing fit. He doesn't say, he, he, he doesn't say a um, well-funded nest egg is the crown of the age. He doesn't say Medicare is the crown of the age, although I don't think anybody's fighting for that. He doesn't say travel is the crown of the aged. He doesn't say freedom is the crown of the age. He doesn't say side-by-side clawfoot tubs overlooking a mountain. <laughs> he says the mission of a, of a father, you want to know what the mission of a father is? Grandkids. That's the mission. That's the direction. That's the bullseye on the target that we are to be shooting at, those of us who have offspring. For far too many of us parents, we're stuck in the day-to-day chaos and chores of raising families that we forget the mission that we're on. We need to be reminded that we are on the mission of influencing and instilling. If you take notes, that's the whole message right there. To influence and to instill values in our kids that will survive generation after generation after generation, after generation. That's the mission. To influence and instill values that God tells us that ought to be repeated to the next generation and will be repeated to the next generation all the way down our family line. If we look back at this Proverbs, we see, we see it so clearly. Children's children are the crown. The crown. The crown here is the same imagery that we would say of, of like a medal for a soldier. Sometimes after a conflict or a war, a battle will have been waged or a mission will have been successful and a soldier will have an honoring ceremony. They'll be given perhaps the medal of honor or um, sometimes posthumously a purple heart, right? Did I get those right? Is that how that works? I'm not military, forgive me. But we understand the idea that after a mission, there's a reward, there's a medal. And the same idea is true here. Grandkids 
represent the medal to a dad who's done his job well. This week, as I was um, spending time with my family uh, on Thursday, was it Thursday? Was it Wednesday? I don't know. The weeks was kind of blurred together. My daughter turned six. She turned six. She counts on two hands now, which is cool. And uh, she's, you know, six going on 26, so pray for us. And, uh, and she um, I had, her, had a birthday, and I was just reminiscing, as you do when you think about how fast that time's gone. And I was brought back to the day when in the hospital, you know, after she was delivered into this room, so much happened in that moment. I, I still see it so clearly. The thing that I remembered this week was the fact that my dad showed up wearing the most gaudy sweatshirt. I don't know why this was in my mind, but my dad, my dad's never been like, you know, Mark Jacobs. He, he's always like struggled with fashion. And um, when he came to, to see his, his, his granddaughter be born, his first grandchild, he showed up at the hospital wearing a sweatshirt. I don't even know where he got it from. It literally read in big letters, Jacobson University. And I thought to myself, school of hard knocks is what that is. Super ironic shirt. Not many people in my family even went to college. But Jacobson University. And I remember he did that. Because it's such a special moment. That moment when he no longer was just a father, but he was a father of a father. Where he had a grandchild. And I remember, you know, my dad's a, he's a car guy. He's not very emotional. He's Norwegian, so we're all closed in. And I remember the moment that he was given his granddaughter to hold. Not much, you know, happened in, in terms of emotion, but he held her. And I could see it in his eye. It was like he was receiving a medal. It was like he was receiving a crown. Grandchildren, isn't it true? Grandchildren are a crown to the aged. You know... Think about this proverb, Proverbs 17, 6, and how it's true that grandchildren are the crown of the age. And it makes me think that maybe Solomon has a Facebook account. Because if you've been on Facebook lately and seen anybody who has a grandkid, that's like their whole feed, isn't it? And all of us know what it is to talk to someone who's a grandkid, a grandparent. How's life going? Well, we're going to this trip to see this grandkid, and then we're going to this trip to see this grandkid, and you'll never guess what this grandkid did the other day. And, oh, I'm so torn up about this grandkid. Like, like, grandparents love to dote and to brag on their grandkids, don't they? They do, is the answer. Just a couple of weeks ago, my family was up in, uh, in Chicago at my grandmother's 90th birthday party. 90. She's 90, which is crazy. And... Uh, we got to meet some of her friends from her church. They're 90 to 100 years old, each one of them counting their birthdays like little toddlers. I'm 91 and a half. <laughs> and uh, I introduced myself to as many as I could. I'd say, hi, I'm Dan Ingrid is my grandma. And they, to a person, go, are you Indiana, Dan? <laughs> like, it's Indiana Jones. <laughs> they just got the names wrong. Why'd they do that? Because grandma's talking, right? Because grandma talks about her grandkids. That's a good thing. Solomon gives you a verse, grandparents, to, to justify that behavior. That is a positive thing. He calls it a crown. Grandkids are a crown to the aged. 
And I, you know, I, I think about our campus, and I, I'm so grateful for the diversity that God's bringing to our campus. I'm hungry for more people from different ethnicities and different backgrounds would come and worship together in one space. But something really cool has been happening in our campus kind of under the radar, and you, you have to kind of look at it to see it. But um, we've always, since we started a couple years ago, prided ourselves in how many kids we have in this campus. And it's cool to see how many young elementary school kids. Scott Irwin's doing an amazing job with our Verge students, which is really booming and growing and so grateful for him. And aren't we, aren't we glad for the next generation? We're, we're a church that loves that, right? Yeah. Thanks to him. Yeah. Uh, but the, the really cool thing, I had Scott run a report for me the other day, and he, he came up with some statistics. And um, I don't know what this says about me as a pastor, but the demographic that has been growing the fastest over the past two years is those in the ages of 50 to 70. Hold on. This is for me. This is just a moment. It's a moment for me to say thank you. Thank you for sticking it out with us from your millennial pastor. Thank you. Thank you. Because we need you, and we need your wisdom, and to have your presence here is so valued. And listen, listen, listen. Like, like um, you can brag about your grandkids all you want here, okay? Just as long as they come here. Just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Solomon tells us this is what grandparents are going to do. They're going to brag on their grandkids. Why? Because their grandkids represent to them a crown and honor. It is a delight to them to see generation after generation furthering the family line. And at the risk of sounding trite, something happens when a parent becomes a grandparent. The moment that your child has their own child, you are now a parent of a parent. You are the father of a father. You're the mother of a mother. And that, I'm told, is a big thought. To, to see your family line expand Banding in ways that maybe you never thought was possible or that maybe you never dreamed of. We might do better as dads to remember that our mission is to parent as a parent raising a future parent. We are fathers raising fathers. And that's, I'll be honest with you, that's hard for me to conceive of because my two-year-old son right now, this may be TMI, but he's learning to use the potty. He doesn't have that under control. How can he be like raising his own kids, right? But this moment when we realize the, the, the direction, the, the trajectory, the, 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 the bullseye that God is telling us is the most satisfying in life that is in line with his plan is to see your kids as parents of parents of parents. It changes everything for you in the way that you lead your family. I think we might do better if we considered our sons and daughters in light of a future where they are likewise fathers and mothers. Your mission is not just to raise boys and girls to become men and women. Your mission is to raise, is, is to father boys to become men, to become husbands, to become fathers who raise boys to become men, to become husbands, to become fathers. The great theologian, John Mayer, put it this way. Fathers, be good to your daughters too. For daughters will love like you do. Girls become lovers who turn into mothers, so mothers be good to your 
you don't listen to the radio. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, guys, Solomon might have written that song. That's the whole thing right there is that the way that we live our life today will determine the type of crown that we have in our grandkids tomorrow. The, w- the way that we live our lives today determines the type of glory that our children derive from us in the first place, who will then pass on to their kids down the road. So I think when we realize the mission of parenting is not simply to keep kids fed, clothed, on schedule, or safe, but rather our mission is to help our kids grow in such a way that they would flourish and raise their own families. It moves the finish line of parenting for us down the road in a good way. When you have a long view of parenting, you'll treat your kids the way you hope they treat your grandkids. You start to develop a healthy parental imagination to see how your actions today are investments that are just going to pay out down the road with generations that follow. And it changes things. It's changed things for me. Uh, this past week, I had, an, I had a profound moment of humility in my own parenting. Um, let me just be honest with you. I can have a very, um, how do I say this, short attention span to the ceaseless parade of questions that my kids can ask. I'll be reading a story to my four-year-old at bedtime. And this is when all the most ridiculous questions come out. Dad, why is that bunny wearing a purple shirt? Dad, why is purple called purple? Dad, why do we put our heads on pillows? And, and, and he doesn't stop to even let me consider how to answer his question. He just keeps rapid fire asking questions. Dad, why is that dog bid? Dad, why did the excavator on that page? Dad, why is the giant sitting on the house? Dad, why does the cow jump over the moon? Dad, what are we going to eat tomorrow for dinner? Dad, dad, dad. And for, honestly, since he's been asking questions, I felt in this moment where he keeps incessantly asking questions, my heart blazing with fire. To the point where I would hear him and we get in this habit of him just asking questions, 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 questions. I would just, I'd say, you know what? I'm ignoring you. And I'd just keep reading the book. Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. Good night, red balloon. Good night. Good night. Oh, see, look at that. We already finished. You didn't even listen, dude. The book's over. Sorry. Let's go to bed. And um, it wasn't too long ago that Solomon started invading my imagination. He started forcing me to look down the road to my grandkids as I consider the type of people I want them to be. And I realized Solomon was kind of pressing in on my subconscious, reminding me that the end goal of parenting isn't just getting this kid to shut up, but instead to help this kid raise godly kids. That I realized how wonderful is it to be curious? How absolutely incredible is it to be inquisitive? And I want my grandkids to ask a million questions about everything. Like, I don't want my grandkids to be suckers who are just fed lines and believe them without testing them, trying them, asking questions about them, and discovering new ways of doing things. Like, that's what I want from my grandkids. And so in that moment where Miles is asking me about why it's a skid steer doing that work and not a bulldozer, how he knows that, I don't know. This week, I just had a moment with him where I just stopped, and I let him ask the questions, and I said to this, and I said, I said, wow, Miles, I never thought about that. What else do you wonder? What else do you wonder? 
And in that moment, asking that question, I watched his life change. I'm just kidding. I didn't watch his life change. (laughs) Here's what happened. In that moment, his little four-year-old mind raced so fast that I watched it explode with questions. So much so that a miracle of miracles happened, he actually stopped talking. But he had been given permission to be curious. He knew it was okay to ask questions. And he doesn't know this, but my game in asking him those questions isn't just that he would be a curious kid, but that his kids would be curious, and his kids' kids would be curious, and that he would create space for them to ask questions too. What you want to see down the line starts today. And so maybe that's a trite example from my own experience, but this mission motivates us to take a long view in fatherhood and influencing and instilling generational values in our families. And Proverbs actually has a lot to say about this. I want to direct your attention to one proverb in particular. Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says this. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, it's a long view right there. When he is old, he will still be on the way. He will not depart from it. As a parent, we are trainers in the way. I'm constantly reminded that there is the way. You're not trainers in a way. Trainers in the way. What is the way? Jesus said it himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we are, as parents, the word is disciplers. We are trainers. We are apprenticing them to understand the way of God. So much of our training in life is just watching other people do it who are older than us. We call it on-the-job training. So when we become husbands or parents, our default modes or expectations are to do the things like our parents did them, like we saw them done. Even if we don't prefer to do it that way, we find ourselves defaulting to it, don't we? So parents, you are training your child, influencing influencing them, whether you're conscious of it or not. And Solomon would tell us, hey, be conscious of what you're modeling for your kids. I think on the positive side of Paul's words to Timothy, they're helpful for us as he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I'm reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. From one generation, passing on to another generation, passing on to another generation. We, we know that this all happened in, in probably the span of 50 years from Lois to Timothy. Generation after generation after generation, training up the child in the way they should go. And so parents, we ought to be taking the lead in training our kids. Not just that we go to church, but why we go to church. Basics of the faith, like what is sin, what is salvation, what is repentance, what is belief. Things such as baptism and communion, they are the first priority of the parent to train up their kids. There's a lot of areas of training that you could do with your kids. I recently discovered the lost art of coaching t-ball. I'm not even the coach. I'm just the parent that happened to find his way on the field and um, found myself as a hobby lately training my son on how to swing a bat. There's a lot of ways I could spend my time teaching my kids things, but parents, do you, 
Do you train your kids to handle the important things? Like, like do, you, do you train them to handle their emotions? Or do you just outsource that to Daniel Tiger? Do you train them to control their tongue? Or do you leave them to fend for themselves at the lunch table? Do, do you train them to handle their opportunities? Do you train them to handle uh, their responsibilities? Do you train them to handle their friendships and their relationships? Do you train them on how to find a godly spouse? No matter what the category is, training is to be done with a long view in mind. And when they are old, Scripture tells us this promise, they will not depart from it. We could also look, that's the discipleship part of it. We can look at Proverbs 29, 17, which says this. Solomon tells us, or discipline, which is a der der derivative of discipleship, discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Friends, your mission is not to control the behavior of your kids, but instead to provide a consistent influence in their lives that yields a consistent discipline. Hebrews tells us that a father disciplines the children that he loves, and discipline yields maturity. Discipline is the method by which you instill the values that you have. So, so do you value honesty? Then you have to discipline lying. Do you value charity? Then you must discipline stealing. Do you value obedience? Then you must discipline rebellion. Whatever it is, if these are left unchecked, these seeds of these sins will go, as James tells us, from desire to temptation to action, which is sin. But notice that we have a long view in this verse that it gives us that if we discipline our children, they will give us rest and delight, knowing that we have instilled in them godly values inside of them. So I'm going to say it again, one note message. What is the, mess, the mission of? What is the mission? What is the mission of parenting? It's to instill and influence values in your kid that will be reproduced for generations. And how do you carry out this mission? The answer comes from the second half of this verse. It says this, the glory of the children is the father's. Maybe I'll show you this chart again. Um, I didn't pull this out in the first time we looked at this, but notice that the arrows in this uh, diagram are pointing in two directions. Because honor and integrity and values swim two ways in our families. It is a river with two currents that we ought to be projecting honor forward, but also projecting honor backwards. You want your kids to honor their grandparents, then be the type of dad who's going to make your kids honor you. The older generation here we see is honored by the younger generation. In the second line, the younger generation is honored by the older generation, which is to say, parents, we ought to consider our calling in light of the great reward that we will receive when we're older. But we realize today that our kids are getting their self-worth and their confidence from us. In that second line there, the glory of the children is their fathers. The word glory, it literally means the boast, the, the, their pride, their swag. What is it that makes a three-year-old on the playground look at their dad and look at someone else's dad and say, my dad could beat up your dad? <laughs> it's this verse. Is that the glory of the father is the child's. Whatever worth the child sees in the dad becomes their own worth. 
I saw a commentator jokingly comment, they printed this, but they said, this verse is absolutely true until a parent has a teenager. <laughs> if you've ever been a dad who's taken a high schooler to a football game and they've abandoned you, there's hope. Just wait, they come back and they live in your house till they're 25. <laughs> so, how do you avoid that? By this. By instilling independence as a value in your family. So briefly, here's how I think this plays itself out at home, where dads can act honorably so that their kids are proud to call him dad. I think he's present when he's home. He knows the hearts of his kids. He works hard to make sure his kids know how much he loves his wife. He disciplines consistently and fairly. And he is honorable, though he's not perfect. He is loving, and he is not harsh. He is gracious, but he is not punitive. He is firm, and he is not heavy-handed. He is meek, he is not weak. He is not manipulated, nor is he indifferent. He is willing to be unpopular for a period of time so that in the long run, he might be appreciated. He doesn't threaten, but he instructs. And that's the type of dad that makes his kid boast about his old man. That's the type of dad that radiates glory upon his kids, who radiate that glory upon their kids, who radiate that glory upon their kids. Do you see it? And so we're back to the beginning of the proverb, where that type of dad radiates glory upon his kids, and he becomes the grandfather who is crowned by the kids that his kids have. This is good news for all of us. The point of this proverb, it reminds me so much that we have a father of fathers, God himself. This proverb shows us a mission which is rightly accomplished by an earthly father, and I'm reminded that our heavenly father had an eternal earthly mission to influence and instill his mercy and his grace and his gospel inside of us so that we might see his goodness and his character and his integrity and his love and his grace and his justice. And we would choose to run to him, to make our boast in him, to say the glory of the child is the father's and become like him. We have a father who sent his son to carry out his eternal mission. Jesus came, to borrow a phrase from Phillips Brooks, to restore the fact of God's fatherhood to man's knowledge. It's not that God stopped being our fathers, but mostly that we just didn't know that we were his children. So enter Jesus to come and put at the center of our lives himself. Jesus came to tell us that we are and to make us actually be sons of God. This is good news for fathers and prodigals because you too were once a prodigal to your heavenly father and needed his rescuing mission to bear its weight of grace upon your life. And when you returned to your father, you did so empty-handed, having struck out in life in the way that you thought you should go, coming back to the fold of the family to be received as a full son again. I'm reminded of how when Jesus told that parable, he started by saying, a man had two sons. And throughout that parable, those sons go separate directions. And at the end of the parable, neither one of them is lost to the father. Because he is a father. 
who knows that his mission can be accomplished. To restore us to sonship with our Heavenly Father is why Jesus, when asked by his disciples to teach them how to pray, he instilled in us these words that begin, Our Father. And as he tells us words to pray or how to pray, we realize that we are but the children coming to our Father, asking him for our daily bread. And we are the children coming to our Father with our lips trembling, knowing that we have something we need to be forgiven for. And yet we come to our Father. I'm reminded of that moment of Jesus' life, that moment of his perfect completion of the mission that God gave him to do. With hands stretched out on the cross, he said out loud, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm reminded of that moment after his work was done when he had resurrected from the grave and he was standing next to the tomb and his disciples came up to him and there, there was these, these women there and the disciples and he said, he said, tell them I am ascending to my father and your father. Because once Jesus rose from the dead, all access into the family of God was broken into. So much so that John, the disciple that Jesus loved the most, wrote this one line in one of his writings that said, to those who received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Fathers who have a father. And the eternal fatherhood of God is the message of Jesus that we are eternally sons of God. And that is what we are. And if ever we believe that the glory of the children is in their father, we believe it right here. That our lives ought to reflect the goodness and the character and the mercy of God that we see in our heavenly father down here on earth to our earthly kids. That's hope for fathering sons and daughters. That just as I have been forgiven by God, so they will see God's grace and glory reflected in me and be one to him. All glory go from the child to the father. That as we raise fathers of fathers, they will follow the father of fathers. I recently observed this proverb firsthand in a way, quite honestly, I didn't know if it was appropriate for me to share this or not. They tell you in preaching school, share all of your embarrassing moments, don't ever be the hero of your own story. Um, that's good preaching. But I, I can't ignore the, what God's done in my family. And I think I've mentioned it to you a couple of times here in the past few weeks how six weeks ago my grandfather died. And he was a man who loved Jesus and lived aware that he was fathering sons and daughters who would become fathers and mothers. And I'm so grateful for a grandfather who is truly a Proverbs 17.6 type of man. My grandpa took great effort in making sure that our family knew the history of our family. So we would go out to Nebraska, and he would make us sing Swedish hymns. It was weird, but I look back at now with tremendous fondness. And we would go out and see him, and he would tell us stories. And he even you know, gave me a book once that was all about one of his ancestors, Johann Alfred Carlson. I think I've told this story before. And he was a man who prayed nightly for the souls of his Kids and his grandkids and his grandkids. Johann Alfred Carlson was my great, great, great grandfather. 
My grandfather picked up that prayer, and he started praying for every generation of his family to know Jesus. And his kids picked up that prayer, which would be my mom and my aunts and my uncles. They prayed that every generation of our family would know God and love God. And I think that's why it stands out so profoundly in my mind the night that my grandfather died. It was May 2nd. He passed away around 5.30 in the, in the evening. Kristen was here at church, I think, teaching in, in the Bible study with our women. And I didn't want to interrupt her, so I didn't text her. And there I was just kind of alone in my thoughts. And I had, for counselors and comforters, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And the only thing they've ever seen die is bugs. So I didn't want to stir up anything with them and make them ask me, well, what happens when you die? And then have a ball fest on my hands. So I just tried to just act like nothing was wrong and just be dad. And around 7.15, 7.30, I was just in a space, a headspace where I was just in a funk. I just needed to let my kids know something was going on in my heart. So I just told him, I said, you know, I looked up from the kitchen island where I was, you know, sipping a Sprite and said to him, I, uh, I want you guys to know daddy's a little sad today because today my grandpa died. And immediately, my five-year-old girl got up from coloring her book at the table walked right over to me with arms wide open and my four-year-old son following suit. And they said, oh, Daddy, we feel so sad for you. And I was like, thanks. You know, I just kind of looked up to heaven and was like, thank you. Needed that. Picked up Elin in my arms. We sat together at the kitchen island. And she asked me pretty quickly. She didn't let it sit long. She said, but Daddy, is he in heaven? <laughs> I I know my grandfather's in heaven. He loved Jesus so much in this, this life. So I said, yes, Elon, he's in heaven because he loved Jesus the most. And yeah, I know for sure he's in heaven. And without skipping a beat, Elon looked back at me and said, well, if he loved Jesus, then today's not a sad day. It's a happy day. Because when you die and you know Jesus, he's forgiven you of your sins so that you can live life with him. And today, grandpa's not dead. He's seeing Jesus in heaven. And I love Jesus too. I would give him 10,000 stars if I could. I don't know what that means. It's quasi-heretical theology. But I was so struck, profoundly struck in that moment of how appropriate it was that when my grandfather's great-granddaughter heard that her great-grandfather had died, she took the opportunity to preach the gospel to her father. Amen. And what a legacy that is to see grandchildren as the crown of the aged. Yesterday at 6 o'clock in the evening, I got word that my grandmother passed away. They chased each other into heaven. My grandmother lived an amazing life. She was an amazing woman. She was so strong. And um, she left behind a litany of people in our family who know Jesus and love Jesus because of her. The last memory I have of my grandmother was the day that we buried my grandfather. Whether it was wise or not, we all showed up at her hospital room, and we all crowded around her bed, and she, there she saw family after family, and she saw her great-grandkids, two of them for the first time ever, 
But there sat Elin in the chair closest to my grandma, and together they sang Swedish hymns. My grandma can't sing, she can't really talk, but she directed the whole thing. And there was a moment after we sang day by day, we kind of did blessed assurance because those are the two that I remember. And uh, there's a moment where my grandmother, so enraptured in the moment, put her head back on her pillow. And she did that thing that you do when you get a crown put on your head. You kind of bow your head and you close your eyes and you take it. And to see the pride in her eyes in that very moment, to know that generation after generation after generation, God has done it. God has answered. And God will be faithful. He can do it again. That's the crown of parenting. That's the mission of parenting. So dads, we love you. Make your boast, not about how great your kids are, but how great your Savior is. And your kids will see that. And long after all you build fades away and is torn down and built up around by other people, you might have a faith that has endured generation after generation after generation after generation. It will be a crown to you and glory to the Father.